70% of the falls that happen in this country happen in the bathroom. And the bathroom represents the majority of fatal falls. So when we start the process, we look at it and say, can you remain in the home and be safe? And is your caregiver safe? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. When discussing ways to improve quality of life and preventing harms associated with ALS, it is important to consider reducing environmental risks, particularly as the disease progresses. And for people living with ALS, that often means considering home modifications. Adapting your living environment can be a simple, low-cost affair or a high-tech, sophisticated, and pricey renovation. Three of the more common needs that people living with ALS should consider for home adaptation are getting in and out of the house, moving throughout the house, and safe access to bathing and toileting facilities. By giving considerations to your priorities and your budget, you can figure out the solutions that will meet your needs. When considering how to modify your home, whether it's the need for a ramp to facilitate getting into and out of the home, a lift system to help navigate stairs, or a bathroom renovation, Finding a partner to help figure out what changes are right for your needs can be a big help. To understand more about the options that are available and the questions that need to be asked when considering a home modification, I turned this week to Elisa Brownlee, an assistive technology specialist who helps people with ALS figure out ways to make their home environment safe. Well, Elisa, thank you so much for being with us this week on Connecting ALS. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's something that I've been wanting to talk about for some time on on the program, and it's something that I know uh, many listeners either have dealt with or it's on the horizon, and that is the issue of home modification and and home adaptability. Before we get into that, though, your first time on the show, why don't you introduce yourself to listeners and tell us a little bit about your role at the ALS Association? Sure. My name is Alisa Brownlee. I'm an assistive technology specialist. I work for both the Greater Philadelphia chapter and also for the Home Office. I have worked with the ALS Association for 27 years, and it's hard for me to say that. Yeah. It doesn't feel that long. And it's been such a privilege to be part of so many people's lives. And so in my start of my career, I focused mostly on assistive technology in terms of communication devices and computer access. And then about seven years ago, I I delved into the home modification um, certification because I saw so many families floundering. Although we have great physical and occupational therapists and home care, they don't focus specifically on ALS. So we are dealing with a progressive disease and we need to look at making the home safe. Of course, that's my total focus but also temporary. We don't need permanent modifications per se for every family. Now, some families opt that, some don't. So that's how I started my career and I've expanded. I've gotten more credentials in the home modification market. And um, in the past, before COVID, I used to go to people's homes and now I do these virtually. So a lot to unpack there and a lot to sink our teeth into, but let's start at the beginning. So when you first start talking to a family, to a person with ALS, their loved ones about home modifications, you know, what are some of the questions that you get? What are some of the issues that you're identifying to try and help start the process of making the home safe and livable? Yeah. So 
it's important to understand that um, less than 3.5% of housing worldwide is built for people with a disability. Mm. So that means, you know, 97% of homes are not accessible. So when we start the process, we look at it and say, can you remain in the home and be safe? And is your caregiver safe? Okay, it's not just the person with ALS we're focusing on, it's the caregiver too. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the question that always has to be asked is, can you afford it? Mm, Because the only funding stream we have in this country for home modifications is the Veterans Administration. And if they're not a vet, obviously they can't tap into that. And then some state Medicaid programs have what's called a waiver program that may give you money to pay for a ramp, but they're not going to modify your bathroom. And then weighing out the cost of what it's going to take to modify my home. And then we talk about the cost of care. There are a lot of people in this country, and not just saying with ALS, who don't understand how much it costs to hire even an aide. The yeah. average cost of hiring a home health aide in this country, national average is $35 an hour. And yeah. most agencies contract for four hours or more. They won't do anything under four hours. So we talk about, you know, you're talking about modifying your bathroom for 25000 or do you want to put that money towards the cost of care? So those are the difficult conversations that we have. And the other question I try to ask is what are their medical decisions? Because if somebody tells me I plan to have a tracheostomy and a ventilator, then we are going to talk about more permanent modifications than a temporary one. You mentioned funding, such a big consideration for so much of living with ALS. The cost gets, we've seen the numbers, it gets astronomical. What are we looking at? Is there a ballpark or kind of a, a median and average amount that we're talking about when we look at a home modification project? Sure. So the most common obstacles that we see in the home, obviously, are steps, the width of the doors, rugs, maneuvering space, and egress. All right. So when you take into account, for example, somebody wants a sterilide. All right. And this is what I tell people when you're thinking about a sterilide. They are a bridge device. All right. So you can use a stair glide, which is a device to take you up and down the stairs. You ride up and down the steps in a seat. You can use a stair glide as long as the individual with ALS has trunk support. If they start losing trunk support and they cannot hold themselves upright anymore, your doctor and your therapist are going to tell you to stop using a stair glide. So it's a temporary device. And for a straight shot staircase, the average cost is $3,000. Anything that has a curve, a landing, is a custom, and those start at eight with the national average being 12000 Wow. So that's a big purchase, obviously, big expense. But getting in and out of the house, your egress, is the most important to most people, okay? So what we see with the, the ALS population is we tend to use modular ramps steel or aluminum ramps that can be put up in a matter of hours and taken down in a matter of hours. They're not permanent. They don't require a permit. They're not wood and, you know, what a wood ramp looks like. So if you factor in that somebody, say, has three steps, 
And the average step is about eight inches. So in terms of ramps, you have to do for every inch of drop, you need one foot of ramp. Okay. Right? So you measure from the top of the steps to where the steps end at like the garage or the cement. Say that equals 24 inches. Then you need 24 feet of ramp. The national average for a modular ramp per foot is $275. So that's $6,600 just for a ramp. You see how the costs start to add up. You mentioned measuring, you know, figuring out how many steps and what the distance is so we can figure out ramp sizes. So who's doing that measuring? We'll we'll get into the the virtual component of this in, in a moment, but the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of it. Are you going out to the house and measuring the steps and the width of the egress or how does that work? Well, I used to. (laughs) Now I ask people to have a tape measure and even if they can just give me an estimate. Yeah. Okay. Because then if they decide to go forward with ramping, they would use a professional company. There are several out there that sell or rent these modular ramps. And then it is the company's responsibility to go out and obviously take accurate, total accurate measurements and build the ramp. But I will tell you, if you are using a company, you have to abide by the ADA guidelines, that one to 12, right? If you are building your own or you're buying it off of Amazon, for a power wheelchair, it is allowed to do one to seven. One to seven, so... So remember, for every inch of drop, you need a foot of ramp. So one to seven is for every inch of drop, you need seven. Feet. Yes, instead of 12. Yes. Sorry, you confused me for a second. No, no, I'm I'm trying to make sense of this in my head. Math isn't my strong suit. That's why I'm in communications. So, so uh, let's get into the virtual component of this. Obviously, we've we've all been we've talked about this so much with telehealth and different components of like the things that we've learned about a virtual living environment during the pandemic. Certainly, it's it's changed your world. A restriction on your ability to be inside the home for a lot of purposes, but I would imagine it's also kind of expanded this playing field of where you can help people out. Absolutely. So when COVID came in lockdown in 2020, obviously we all changed how we were doing business. Yeah. So I reverted to doing these virtual visits. And in that first year, I did almost 59, 60 visits just in those seven months. So what we would do is, uh, you know, I agree, this is the day. And then I would, I would send them an introductory email. You know, this is what we'll be talking about. Can you have a tape measure? Please have as many people on the call as possible or in the Zoom or FaceTime, whatever. And it worked. We served all these people during COVID and then it kept going. And in May of this year, the home office started a pilot program, which is now available everywhere. That if anybody with ALS is interested in receiving a visit by me, they can do so. And I can drop into people. I saw somebody in Washington State last week as well. I did four of them last week, Washington State, Kentucky. Tonight I have San Diego. So I'm able to help people who really just need guidance about what are their options because people don't know what they don't know. Right. So that's what I'm trying to do is introduce them to either assistive technology devices that can keep them safe and modify their home. But I've talked about, you know, all right, you want to renovate the bathroom. So here's the new trend in disability bathrooms. It's called wet baths. So we talk about everything. Yeah. The other thing that I stress 
along with my safety is we talk about what to do in the event of a power failure, because we have a lot of people who have respiratory equipment in the home and they don't have generators or they haven't thought about generators. So I plant that seed because you don't need a whole house generator. If you want to just get a generator that will run the trilogy, that's fine, but have a backup of some sort because we are in unknown territory with our weather. And so it would be horrible to be trapped at home and not have a way to get energy to your ventilator, non-invasive or invasive. Yeah, it's a good point. Are there other kind of top of mind fixes that are kind of at the top of the list when you start thinking about adapting the home? Well, Jeremy, I have to tell you, I've been doing it, as I said, seven years, and the most positive feedback I get are from people that have purchased the bidet. Mm. Because let me tell you, I, I ask them, I ask a person with ALS, what is it you don't want your caregiver to do? And you know what the answer is going to be. Sure. Yeah. You get a bidet, it can clean you, dry you, sanitize you, and they go right over your existing toilet bowl. It's not intricate. Yeah. The only downside is that all the bidets that are sold in the United States have to be plugged into a ground fault outlet, all right? So if you don't have one, you do need to have an electrician come in and just install it near the toilet. But I recommend people get one with a remote control. So the remote control sits on the side of the bidet, and if the user can do it, they can press the button. If not, the caregiver can be outside the bathroom pressing the buttons for them. Mm. But I've had so many people tell me what a huge difference. I used to dread going to the bathroom, but now it's not like it's enjoyable, but it is not a cause of anxiety. Sure. It's not a cause of embarrassment, especially yeah. if the person taking care of you isn't a spouse. I think you touch on the reduced anxiety. There's a harm reduction or there's a burden reduction component to that. Uh, it's very meaningful. It strikes me, Lisa, that some of the conversations that you have, you're, whether it's virtual or in person, you're being invited into someone's home. You're having some like intimate conversations about some of the aspects of life that we don't often talk about. It has to create like a bond with, with the folks that you serve. It does. It does. And and sometimes I'm the first dose of reality that people get. I'll be honest, I make people cry a lot and I cry with them because of course I'm a human being and I, I can feel their emotional pain because it's not just modifying your home. It, there's a psychosocial component. The house is meaningful to you. Sure. And it represents something to you. It might represent years of hard work. And then all of a sudden, we're bringing all this equipment in. We're, we're making ALS a reality in the house. And that can be very upsetting to some people. Sometimes people just, I'm not making a change. I'm not. And I respect that. Sure. I've given you, you know, my recommendations, my suggestions, but, you know, it, inevitably it is your decision. What I do often say after that is that, you know, we have statistics in this country that 70% of the falls that happen in this country happen in the bathroom. And the bathroom represents the majority of fatal falls because it's a small room. And what's going to happen? You're going to hit your head. Right. So if nothing else, let's make the bathroom safe for you and your caregiver. And if I can do that, I've done my job. Very meaningful work, and it sounds like you're touching lots of lives. Elisa, any other thoughts uh, before I let you go? 
Well, I, I would encourage people, even if you have a question, a simple question, or you said, oh, somebody said I should, please reach out either to me or to your ALS chapter representative, because not all devices are made for our population. So we have a team to help you. And that's what we're here for. We're here to assist you on a journey you never wanted to be on. But you have a good group of people that can guide you. Awesome. Elisa, thanks so much for your time today. Sure. Thank you. I want to thank my guest this week, Elisa Brownlee. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. And while you're at it, please find time to rate and review Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a great way for us to connect with new listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. Post-production by Alex Rauer. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon. Thank you.